You're listening to Hello Movies, a podcast to get you off the couch and into the theater. I'm Lana Gay. This week, we get the inside scoop from the man who trained Linda Hamilton to kick ass again in Terminator Dark Fate. When this is all over, I am going to kill you. I understand. We take a close look at Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Come play with us forever and ever. Plus, we've got Terminator trivia. We find out what your scariest movies were. And I chat about upcoming movies with Tanner Zipchin from the Cineplex pre-show. Are elves always so cynical? Yes, relentlessly. These are dark times. It's time to do a little listening before watching. Let's get started. When the first Terminator came out in 1984, nobody knew that 35 years later, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton would reunite to make the sixth movie in the series, and the third to bring them back together with franchise creator James Cameron. He didn't direct this one, but he helped come up with the story. The movie's called Terminator Dark Fate, and when Linda Hamilton decided to return to play Sarah Connor, she knew she'd have to train all over again to get into shape for it. But this time, she was in her 60s. To get her where she needed to be, she worked with the legendary Mackie Shillstone. This man has trained some of the greatest athletes in the world, like Peyton Manning and Serena Williams. He's here now to talk to us about working with Linda. So tell us how you got involved with Terminator Dark Fate. Well, I got a call from James Cameron. It came in on a voicemail, and my son lives in Los Angeles. He uh, is social media director for Deadline Hollywood. And he sees this, or or I told him, who's this James Cameron calling me? He says, Dad, you've got to return this call. And I said, so what team does he play for? He says, Dad, it's not sports, it's my world. He he says, Dad, you love Terminator, right? I said, oh, yeah. He says, well, you really love Titanic. And then, of course, you enjoyed the Avatar. He's the producer, creator, and director of all that. (laughs) I said, wow, well, what does this man want me? So I guess about 20 minutes later, this call comes in and it's James Cameron. And he says, Mackie, Google is a great tool. I've been looking for you. (laughs) I said, you have? He says, well, he says, I have a project for you that I really think you're the only person pulled this off. He says, do you remember the Terminator 1 and 2? I said, I sure do. He says, you remember Sarah Connor? I said, yes. He says, well... I want you to get Sarah Connor ready for another action movie. I thought about it for a second. I said, how many years ago was that? Mm -hmm. He says, what, 28 years ago? And I said, I've got to be guessing Linda Hamilton is in her 60s. He says, 61. And I said, so let me get this straight. You want me to take a 61-year-old woman who probably is out of shape, And you want me to get her ready for an action-packed, action-oriented movie? He said, that's it. And I said, so tell me, why do I want to do this? And this is what got me. He says, Mackie, in Hollywood, they throw women away at age 40. And he says, I want to do something about it, and I think you will. So then what happened? We sat down and Linda came to my home in New Orleans in the Garden District and um, we talked for over an hour. One thing that struck me about Linda Hamilton on our first meeting, and I have to be a quick size up of character, 
I could see that she had this intense commitment to what she did. So we put together Fit to Win, you know, Linda Hamilton uh, restoration project. Oh, my goodness. I, I started out with a pulmonologist, cardiologist, functional medicine physician, physical therapist, chiropractor, dietitian, Pilates. You know, I go in like I own a team. That's how I approach things. Wow. And I take over everything. You obviously have so much work to do in the beginning uh, to set everything up in your team. It sounds so extensive and amazing. And of course, you're calling all the shots. But what does, when the routine starts going, what does that routine look like? A typical session would be warming up with, we used a stability ball. We would have to do over 300 repetitions. I would have to teach her. But by the time I was done, she was doing like 750 repetitions in one session, plus interval training on the elliptical and two other elliptical sessions, eating prescriptive meals. And her biggest thing was not wanting to let me down, you know, because mm-hmm. she says, I'm, I'm not one of your athletes. I said, you're an industrial athlete and you're not going to let me down because I won't let you. This physical routine is is unbelievable. But can we talk about So much of training is beyond physical. There's mental, psychological. So how do you also psychologically help people commit to the intensity? Well, first of all, Linda didn't have a commitment problem. She had a survival problem. Okay. And one of the biggest driving force that I saw, and I had to get it out of her head, was that I won't say fear because Linda has walked through her fears. So let's use the word apprehension. I think probably her biggest, her first apprehension was that people would compare her, understandably, to Sarah Connor 28 years ago. But I said, I'm going to tell you one thing, and you can get this through your head. And I said, I'm going to make you the best 63-year-old woman the world has seen, and you're going to do your own stunts. 35 years ago, I began this um, incredible journey as Sarah Connor, and I'm still doing it. I do believe that playing this character has been very defining for me as a human being. I'm not sure that I ever would have found a way to discover the strengths that I have needed to call on unless I had played this woman. I know Linda has personally expressed to you the role you played in helping her, you know, get into shape. Can you tell us about that moment? Yes. Well, she put her head down for a moment and looked at me and said, Mackie's the finest man I've ever known in my life. His honor, his integrity, his passion, energy for what he does. He said, for me, he was, a, he was a bright light in a hall of darkness that led me on a path to where I needed to be. I will never forget what he has done for me. He saved my life. How'd that make you feel? Well, I've never had anybody tell me, other than maybe my wife, that I'm the finest man for the reasons I outlined that she's ever met. Um, because I'm, she's had a lot of people in her life, uh, and very fine people, I'm sure. And so um, I'll take that with me to my grave. What are you most proud of, of this experience? I think what I'm most proud of is what she will do for women in Hollywood and women in general, over 40, I think Linda's going to change the fact 
that that woman in her 60s, maybe 50s, could be 40, that think it's over and want to give up, don't. Mm-hmm. Because a 61-year-old, 63-year-old woman, by the time it's over, did some amazing things and changed her body, as you will see in the movie. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for uh, sharing your stories. Well, God bless you, Lana. And thank you for the opportunity. You're very kind. Terminator Dark Fate is in theaters now. For more about the movie, check out Cineplex Magazine's interview with Linda's co-star, Mackenzie Davis, in the October-November issue. And you can pick that up at your local Cineplex theater or download it at cineplex.com backslash magazine. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be called... The Terminator. Terminator Dark Fate is hitting theaters tomorrow, 35 years after the first Terminator movie came out. So how did it all start? With a nightmare. Director James Cameron got the idea for the very first movie from a fever dream about what he called a metal death figure. Uh, It was coming out of a fire, its skin burned off to expose the machinery underneath, and he drew some sketches of it and showed them to his friend, producer Gail Ann Hurd, then told her his idea for the story. They created a 40-page document called a scriptment, a combination of a script and a treatment. Cameron sold the rights to Hurd for $1 and the promise that she would do everything she could to make sure he was hired to direct it. It wasn't easy. She went through a lot of studios, and when they finally got the green light, they had to work fast and cheap. They started filming in March of 1984, and the movie was in theaters by October, which is amazing. They filmed the whole thing in about six weeks, spent $40,000 of their own money on top of the existing budget, and often shot on location without permits, racing away before the police arrived or claiming they were making a student film. Crazy, right? So here comes the trivia. We're going to give you four facts about making the very first Terminator movie. Only three are true. Can you guess which one is the fake? Here are the choices. One, Arnold Schwarzenegger had never fired a gun before the first day of filming. Two, in Poland, the movie was called The Electronic Murderer. Three, Sting was offered the role of Kyle Reese, the good guy who comes from the future to save Sarah Connor. Four, Arnold insured his eyebrows with Lloyds of London before shaving them off for the movie. We'll give you the answer in a bit. And yes, I am laughing about Arnold's lack of eyebrows. 40 years ago, Jack Torrance brought his family to the Overlook Hotel. A place that would consume Jack and leave the Torrance family with a scar that would never truly heal. It was there that his son Danny's life would be changed forever. And he would learn of his unique gift known as The Shining. That's Ewan McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson, two of the stars of Dr. Sleep, the long-awaited sequel to The Shining. The movie is written, directed, and edited by Mike Flanagan, known for creating the very scary TV series The Haunting of Hill House. He's also done a whole lot of horror movies, which is why he was such a good choice for the follow-up to one of the most classic scary movies of all time. He still remembers his first exposure to it. I first saw The Shining on VHS at a slumber party and was utterly unprepared for it. And I was never the same. This is a story that's about Dan, 
still out there dealing with The Shining in a world that is dark and horrifying. The Dan he's talking about is Danny Torrance, the little kid whose dad turned into a knife-wielding, door-breaking killer in The Shining. Yeah, that guy. Danny's all grown up now and still haunted by everything that happened to him at the Overlook Hotel when he was just a kid. Who wouldn't be? Stephen King, who published his sequel novel in 2013, said he just couldn't let go of the character. I always wondered what happened to Danny when he grew up, and I felt that I had a story to tell. One of the things that I wanted to see was a man at the end of his rope. You can't really recover until you finally reach your bottom. And I wanted to see that in Dan on the screen. So you might be wondering if this is a sequel to the movie, to the book, or an adaptation of Stephen King's novel. It's all three, which made things tricky. For one, there were some big differences between the ending of the book, The Shining, and Stanley Kubrick's film. Here are some spoilers from 1977 and 1980. At the end of the book, the Overlook is destroyed. But at the end of the movie, it's still standing. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. Ewan McGregor plays a grown-up Dan, whose nickname is Dr. Sleep because he works at a hospice and uses his shining to comfort people who are near death. He soon meets Abra, a teenage girl who has the same ability he has. She needs his help fighting off a group called the True Knot, who, according to the official movie description, quote, feed off the shine of innocence in their quest for immortality, unquote. Danny and Abra team up and at some point determine that they have to go back to the Overlook Hotel. Flanagan's team worked tirelessly to recreate it as accurately as possible. He says that there's one shot in the trailer that comes from Kubrick's movie, that famous scene of the bloody elevators. Everything else was a painstaking, perfect recreation based on Kubrick's original notated blueprints and a ton of viewings of the movie. Flanagan had complete support from Kubrick's estate, as well as the trust of Stephen King, who overcame his well-known distaste for the movie version of his book. Mike's movie stands on its own, but it's also a terrific sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film. See, it's just a big love fest with really scary things in it. Come play with us forever and ever. Oh yes, those twins are back, just when you finally stopped having nightmares about them. So, who should go see this movie? Fans of the first movie? Fans of the books? People who love horror in general? Ask Mike Flanagan. This is for anyone who is going to enjoy being petrified in a movie theater. It was a movie I was desperate to see. If you're desperate to see it too, and we know you are, you can do so starting November 8th. Earlier in the podcast, we gave you four facts about the original Terminator movie, but only three were true. Did you guess which one was fake? This one was true. Arnold did insure his eyebrows, at least according to IMDb. He had to shave them off before the scene where he runs over a burning car, and he was worried they wouldn't grow back. Also true, Sting was asked to play the movie's hero, Kyle Reese. But he was still busy with a little band called The Police. Plus, he was already committed to doing the movie Dune. Was the movie titled The Electronic Murderer in Poland? 
It sure was. In Polish, the word terminator means apprentice, which was very confusing, as you can imagine. But by the time the sequels came out, the first movie was famous enough that it was no longer an issue. So our faked fact is that Arnold was not new to guns when they started filming. He'd already spent a year in the Austrian army, but that pales in comparison to the work he did to prep for the Terminator. He spent week after week assembling and stripping various terrifying weapons until he could do it perfectly with either hand. And believe it or not, blindfolded. He knew that every movement he made had to look automatic and clinically perfect, the way a machine would do it, and by the time he hit that set, he had nailed it. Honestly, it's part of what makes the Terminator so terrifying. So thank you, Arnold. Looking forward to seeing Dark Fate. The Terminator series and Doctor Sleep are both part of very scary franchises. And as a chicken, I feel the need to talk about this. And it also inspired us to ask you on social media about your very first scary movie and or your worst scary movie. And you responded with some great stories from Tina having to leave the lights on for a week after watching The Exorcist to Thad's confession that he was terrified by the hunting scene in Bambi. Yep, Bambi. Here's another Disney one. After Katie saw The Watcher in the Woods, she wouldn't keep a mirror in her room for years, from age 10 to until she went to college. I have to admit, Betty Davis in Watcher in the Woods terrified me as a child for sure. Anyway, uh, then there was Tina who told us she still won't sleep in a room with a doll in it because of the terrifying clown doll scene in Poltergeist. Ah, And Neil and his girlfriend were so freaked out on their drive home from the first Terminator movie that they were sure, sure they were being followed the whole way. Sammy went to see Scream 2 when it first opened. And you know that moment where Nev Campbell's character is trapped in a police car with the killer? And the audience is silent, breaths held in, knowing the killer is about to pounce. A woman in front of him jumped up and yelled, you're on your own, and left the theater. She never came back. I love it. Uh, Now, Dave made the mistake of seeing both hostile movies before his first trip to Europe. Bad idea. Uh, He and his wife rented an isolated cabin in Tuscany. That's quite a setup. And when they got back from a wine-filled dinner, they found the lights on in the attic above. And no cars around for miles. The voices and thumps upstairs had Dave convinced they were going to get butchered. Or at best, as he said, just lose some organs. So he walked around locking every door in the cabin with the skeleton keys they'd been given. Dave assumed, like anyone might, that a skeleton key would open every lock, since that's the whole point of having them. Guess what? It didn't. In the morning when they woke up, they couldn't get out of the bedroom because he'd lock them in. That's a whole horror movie in itself. His wife called him a nincompoop, climbed out the window, and he spent the next two hours trying to get all the doors unlocked. And they never did find out who was upstairs or where they went. Well, thanks for the great stories, everyone. And let's all try to be brave and remember, they're just movies, right? 
So let's take a break from all the scary stories. Uh, let's talk to Tanner Zipchin, who you know from the Cineplex pre-show and, of course, many episodes of Hello Movies. Nice to have you back, Tanner. Thank you. It's going to be back. You, you have a tan. Where have you been? Yeah, uh, I was uh, in Hawaii, the Junket 4 Midway, which is Roland Emmerich's new big action war epic that totally belongs on a theater. There is, It's like nonstop, this movie. But, uh, yeah, it's based on uh, the true events of Midway, which happened right after Pearl Harbor. It was kind of the American retaliation. So we got to go to uh, Hawaii. We got to tour Pearl Harbor. We got to go to the premiere and, you know, talk to the cast. It was a whole event. It was a weekend. It was, yeah, it's so unforgettable. Wow, that sounds interesting. That sounds good. Very, it was very cool, and uh, got to see Dennis Quaid in the end. So, good not times. too shabby. Yeah, told him I love Frequency. Fair. I don't, and things you probably shouldn't say to Dennis Quaid, but when you get you get in the moment, you're nervous. You're just, I'm like, I love Frequency, and then I just left. Oh, that's it. Just quick, quick turnaround. He's like, cool. I'm like, you got. I'm like, he gets that so much. Why did I say that? Well, because you can't. I guess. Okay, I feel better. Okay, well, let's go from Hawaii to the holidays, because there's a ton of hype for last Christmas. Have you seen any of it yet? Yeah, I got to see, uh, well, we saw the trailer for the first time at CinemaCon, which I think is now, you know, it's out, so everyone can uh, can watch it. But yeah, the, one of the most Christmassy movies I think, we, you know, we've seen in a while. I mean, the title alone is, is a Christmas song. Also, I mean, Emma that. Thompson, she co-wrote the story with her husband. That's, how amazing is that? She's no stranger to the whole Christmas genre. And then the cast is, is really cool. Not only are Henry Golding and Michelle Yeoh reuniting from Crazy Rich Asians, but also uh, opposite of uh, Henry Golding is Amelia Clark. So the mother of dragons, Daenerys Targaryen herself, is uh, is is trying out the uh, Christmas rom-com romance. And we'll see how she does. I think she'll be great. Also, a rom-com set in London is pretty mwah. You know what I mean? mean? It's a very Christmassy city. It you know? is. The, the, the lights and they, I'm, sh- I'm sure just like Costco, the Christmas stuff is already out in London. So, All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about perhaps the opposite. Um, for those looking for a little more grit and intensity, there's Motherless Brooklyn. Yes. What's that all about? Yeah, got to see this uh, at TIFF, Edward Norton. Uh, this is his baby. He's been working on this for a long time. Uh, apparently, it's been almost 20 years that he's been making this movie. He was involved with uh, you know writing, producing, uh, directing it. So he's been making sure to get it right, and then now he's you know unleashed it on the world. But it it follows his character, who's a, a detective, a private investigator, who uh, I don't give too much away. There's a a murder of sorts, and then a mystery okay. to solve as to what is going on. And so what you're saying is it is a murder mystery. It's pretty much like an <laughs> old school Hollywood murder mystery. And then everyone's wearing the hats, and they're talking in the Brooklyn accents, and it's it's. Although I I got to say there is a scene in the movie. I'm giving too much away. Where uh, Edward Norton has to put on Bruce Willis's like jacket and hat, and they're and they fit. And I thought that was strange. And I talked to the costume uh, designer on on the red carpet, and she said that they're actually the same coat size. Interesting. Which I thought strange because they think Bruce Willis, you think big guy, he's actually the same size as Edward Norton. But fun fact, the hat was different because Bruce Willis has a bigger head. Oh, okay. These are the things you learn listening to the podcast. Okay, well, there you go. We've learned so much. Thank you so much, Tanner. We've missed you. You're very welcome. As, as per G.I. Joe, knowing is half the battle. Okay, we'll see you next time on Hello Movies. And that's a wrap. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. On our next episode of Hello Movies, we'll be talking Frozen 2 and Knives Out. And if you have any comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Colton Eddy is our producer. Philip Zivkov is our sound designer and mixer. 
Our podfather and series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening and see you at the movies. Bye.